everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of The Joy of Being for busy working moms and women in business and beyond who are seeking to unplug from their worries and overwhelm to light up with insight and joy. I, your host, mom, and effortless lifestyle coach, Marina Pearson, talk to transformational professionals, business owners, and creatives about what it really takes to have a business and life you can truly enjoy. And remember, you can find me on Instagram at Marina Pearson or my Facebook group, The Joy of Being. And if you'd like a more personalized touch to live a stress-free life, then why not find out more about The Joy of Being Retreat, an intimate four-day profound experience at a luxury venue in Javier, Spain, where you get to experience your inner calm and peace of mind by slowing down and making space. To find out more, email me at marina, marinapearson.com with Joy of Being Retreat in the title. And so today I get to interview the wonderful Helen Sanderson. She's not only a friend, but the founder and creative director of Ministry of Calm. She calls herself a space therapist, combining her interior design and professional organizational skills, plus her background in psychotherapy, um, to become an expert in the psychology of space and the design of quiet rooms and well-being environments. She has quite a track record and has regularly spoken at events such as the Ideal Home, Mind, Body, Spirit, Grand Designs Live and 100% Design and has also appeared on BBC Radio, Sky TV and been featured in the Telegraph, Financial Times, The Mail, Cosmopolitan, Good Housekeeping, but to name a few. Her work takes her all over the country, supporting people to clear their clutter, be more organized and efficient, and free up time and energy to focus on what really matters to them. And what I loved about this conversation was the depth by which she works. This isn't just about decluttering and that's it and getting rid of a few pieces in your home. Her work goes much deeper than that. And illustrates how our parent our parenthood or our parents have actually had a massive influence on how we keep our homes but also we go into the psychology of the behaviors that we have why we hoard why we keep things why we hide things what's going on behind all of those behaviors and we talked about how um, we can just start so if you're somebody that knows you need to declutter we talked about a few things that you can do a few small steps you can do to start decluttering your life and your space in this new year and the benefits of that time energy becoming more effective um and so if you are someone that needs to declutter This is going to be a super useful episode for you, but also fascinating in terms of what's really going on. Enjoy. Well, hello, Helen. It's been a while and so glad to have you on the uh, podcast here today to talk about something that's really important as far as I'm concerned in terms of decluttering. But, you know, I know that we talked a little bit yesterday um, about the psychology of decluttering. I think most people know about, well, you've got to do this and sort of the actions that they need to take. But uh, what I wanted to uh, have a conversation about today was really about what, what what's behind, um, you know, not taking action on decluttering, um, hoarding, um, 
you know, when we know that actually having stuff in our space isn't necessarily the best thing for us. As I look on the floor, there's loads of stuff because I'm here with my ex-husband um, in Alston and I'm like, I'm living out of suitcase and stuff all over the floor. I'm sure that's not good for my feng shui. But, mm. you know, yeah. So welcome. And it's wonderful to have you here. Great. Thank you. And it's really lovely to be invited. So, and happy new year to you. Yeah. And you too. <laughs> so what got you interested into decluttering in the first place? Um, I, I had, I think like most people, I had several friends that needed sorting out. <laughs> and, um, so I, I started helping friends and realized that I had a bit of an aptitude for it. And I think I, I guess I see it as project managing, really. You, if you've got an ability to oversee where you are and where you need to get to, as long as you've got good personal skills and you can support people, then you can help them get to where they want to get to. So it's just something that I've been doing for years. And, and as I've been doing it, I've developed more and more of a personal style and, a, and more insight really into um, people's lives because I really feel that when you go into someone's home, you're, it's a bit like you're walking into their psyche. So it's something that I treat with deep respect and reverence for some of the stories that some people tell me about their lives. And sometimes some people don't know um, what their house is saying, but I can see it and the house is telling me the story. So sometimes it's the person and sometimes it's the house and whatever happens, it's a really very deeply moving um, experience. So you've, you've, you know, you've captured my curiosity here. Um, When you say you walk into people's houses and you can tell what the house is saying, could you give me an example of that? Um, Yeah. Um, so I think, um, I think we all have, we all have a sense of energy, um, some of us more than others. And I've got a particularly acute sense of energy. And so when you walk into a house, sometimes you can feel whether or not there's depression there, whether or not there's anger, um, just the way someone treats their home is sometimes a, a reflection of how they treat themselves. Mm. So, you know, it can be quite exposing really. And I think a lot of people that are hoarders really don't want to let anyone in the house, not just because they've got too much stuff, but because I think deep down we know that it is a reflection of something that's stuck within ourselves or something that is going on, you know, psychologically. So I'm really fascinated by that and and I like I said you know I have deep respect for people that let me into their home because because there is a story so (laughs) if I was to walk into your house (laughs) what's your story Helen (laughs) um Um, I would say that I, um, my mum laughs at me because she says I'm like my grandmother and I kind of like things in their place. (laughs) So if something gets put out of its place, I like to move it back. And that's, (laughs) so that's sort of slightly on the OCD scale. Although I I do have, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a perfect minimalist home or anything, but I do like, once I've found a sense of order, I like to keep it that way. And for me, 
um, having order and beauty is is a is a way of keeping my inner stability. I suppose, yeah. Mm. It sort of grounds me, and it it makes me feel, yeah, that's in its place, and that feels good, and there's a good balance. Whereas when everything gets turned upside down, it then affects me, which is why I feel um, that keeping your home in order is really important for your mental and psychological well-being. So, what would you say? Because I'm that that's kind of sparked up something inside of me, which is, you know, I grew up. Um, not really caring about what was on the floor and I didn't see it. So, you know, especially now that I've got a four year old, um, it's, it's, it's challenging to keep the house in order. And, um, as I've got more quiet inside, I, I become much more susceptible to what's around me as before I could actually just completely tune it out, like not even notice the amount of mess that was around me. And sometimes I actually do that with, when my son is at home because he has so many toys and we don't have a, a space for them at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I attempt to keep as much order as possible, but I can sometimes I completely tune out and I just know it's there, but I kind of ignore it. So what would you say to that? Like those, those of us who um, don't get mm-hmm they see the mess, but it's just something that you just begin, you just live with. It, it's not something that you, yeah, you don't even see it almost. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it totally makes sense. And I, I mean, quite often I get invited into the home of a couple and there'll be one person that is really driven absolutely nuts and the other person that can't see it at all. Mm. Um, and so I think when there's a couple situation, then there's some sort of, compromise or meeting place where they can both either share that space or have their own two separate spaces but I think you know I think it's really important to not be um not to use keeping your home in order as a way of beating yourself up and when you've got kids if you if you get into that really um rigid regime where everything's got to be tidy you're just going to drive yourself nuts so being able to tolerate a certain amount of mess I think is really healthy (laughs) I do because I think you've got to be able to you know um be with what's important and and be with the child and be with their play and be with being in the moment and if you're if you're constantly driven by a desire to keep order, then you're just going to be driving you yourself and your child nuts, you know, and that, and a lot of the stories that people tell me when I interview them are, you know, I'll ask them, what was it like when you were a child? Did you go into your room and play in that room or were you constantly being told to tidy your room? And was it something that was used to scold you? And so I think that our relationship to space is, is definitely it starts when we're a child and it starts not only with how our parents were with their space, but how we were with our own private room or, you know, whatever. So I think anything it's about finding the middle way, isn't it? Being able to tolerate a bit of mess and chaos, which comes with kids and then also being able to put things in order to support yourself and your, when uh, your being. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. And as you were speaking, what came to mind was, um, 
the craziness of thought, right? So mm. there have been moments where I haven't wanted Leo to play because I don't want to actually then have to deal with the mess afterwards. Exactly, yeah. So there's a massive restriction there for him. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I've had to really let kind of become aware that I actually have that thought process going on because mm. it got to the point where I didn't want to play with him because then I would have to have to deal with the mess afterwards and have to tidy it up. And I really didn't want to, mm. um, because at the moment Leo doesn't want to do things on his own necessarily. He wants, if he's going to tidy up, he wants to do it with somebody else. So mm. that whole process of needing to tidy up, I've realized it kind of triggered a lot inside of me. It's like, I'm really triggered by this. Like I don't want mm. to tidy up. <laughs> and then we can sort of understand, we could go into that inquiry about what, you know, why is tidying up so challenging and triggering for you? I mean, I'm not necessarily going to go there right now, but it's just um, one of the things that I do with, with parents is encourage them to to make tidying up into a game and make it into part of the play so that, children understand that there's play and then there's tidying up it's a bit like you know if you think about I don't know I'm just thinking about the Hindu philosophy of um creation destruction and and preservance preservance I think it's preservation yeah preservation that's it and um you know everything that that is created gets destroyed so you know part of a creative play process is to make a mess but then to put it back again and and to preserve so um all of those things I think that we're as parents teaching kids those things all the time not just the play and the creation or the destruction of the order but you know it's it's about being with all of those parts of the process yeah just what came to mind right there was just the creative process is like that anyway isn't it you come up with an idea you attempt to like put it out there it's a bit messy um a bit jumbled a bit scrambled then you basically have to put a little bit of structure in order to it and then tidy it up and then it's done (laughs) and and the other thing that really strikes me about the home is that you know a lot of it is about containers and one of the things that I really love is that I love stationery and a lot of women do love stationery and I kind of often been curious about that you know why do we love stationery so much and I think it's because it's a shop full of containers (laughs) and ultimately as a woman you know when you give birth to a child you are a container that is what you are for nine months Mm. and you're home for a baby and then you're you know many many of the people that contact me are actually pregnant women or women who've just had a child and they want to make a nest and, and that urge to really create space for this newborn is really strong. Um, so the nesting thing is creating another container and then, you know, the, the toys and how they get contained or uncontained is, and how you contain a child's emotions or, you know, behaviours and, and the whole thing about boundaries and containers is it sort of spills over from the psychological into the into the home, into the practical. And one of the things that, you know, is ideal if you're really lucky enough to have a playroom for kids where you can just shut the door at the end of the day <laughs> or or even a designated area. So again it's contained. Um, and it's, so there's an adult space and a child space. So it's all about, I think, negotiating space and boundaries and that sort of gets reflected in the, in the way we live in our spaces. 
Yeah, I really love that. And um, it's certainly food for thought in terms of how you want to, how space and boundaries are so um, interlinked. I had not seen that before, but mm. but it makes complete sense, you know, that you've got this space for this and that space for that. Because, of course, what of, you know, the workspace, for example, but then that spills into maybe doing work at the breakfast table or not having a space where that's particularly linked to that thing that you're doing. Um, I'm just curious about that. How does that, does that have any impact? Oh, massively. And I think there's, there's even articles that have been written about how our home spaces are changing so much. And if you think about workspaces now with co-working spaces that they're des- the designs are much more based on a home interior because, you know, this idea of home and work is sort of merging into one. So we come home from work and we sit in bed and we work or we sit on the kitchen table and work or we go into a co-work space and it's more like a home space rather than an office, you know, and those boundaries are getting more and more merged. And although some of that's really good and positive in the sense that, you know, it's, it's no fun for anyone to go into an office where the strip lights are really horrible, flashing, you know, and it's just a really harsh environment that's no better for battery hens than human beings, you know. Um, but the idea that the boundaries between home and work have become so so crossed and merged are, are becoming really problematic. And then that gets reflected in the home as well. You know, people come to me and they say, you know, my room is just a constant mess. And I say, well, you're you're trying you you we've got one room you're trying to run your business in here. So you've got your paperwork and your accounts and then you're trying to do your crafting in here and then you're trying to sit and relax in here and watch telly and then you're trying to to have your dinner in here and it's like this room has got four different jobs Mm. and and it just doesn't work, you know, and that's one of the problems. I think that spaces can't can't meet those demands because we're losing, by losing the walls and living more open plan, we're losing the boundaries yeah yeah multitasking rooms I'd never actually considered that to be a thing but what I'm hearing you say is is that that's like multitasking and we can't know the myth of multitasking right as if we can do that we can't actually do that Mm. um yeah like I'm really I've I've become conscious of this you know I and for those that are listening, maybe you find it the same thing. Maybe if you live in a smaller place, you live in the city, you've got a smaller flat, you don't have as much space. So it does become a bit blurry. Like I used to work a lot in my bed and I tend not to do that anymore. Mm. Um, you know, I've got a, I've, I've, I've put a desk in a, in a space in the house. So that's where I usually work. But on occasion, I will might find myself going back to the bedroom and, and just, snuggling down and just doing a little bit of writing there so but yeah um and I'm, I'm assuming that the 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 impact on that in terms of productivity and so forth there is an impact on that is is that is that something that that you found um I think so and I think that generally when when people have a cluttered space it's hard to think I mean it's not it's, it's funny because I've been writing an essay this week and, and there's this joke, isn't there, that 
when you've got an essay to write, you clean the house and you, you know, you find everything else to do. (laughs) And, um, and it, it's true yeah. that, that cleaning is part of the procrastination process, but it's also part of creating order because it's so difficult to think when you've got chaos around you or when you've got lots of unfinished business like, oh, I haven't done this and I haven't done that. And your mind is full of all these unfinished tasks. It's very difficult to focus. Quite often my clients say to me, you know, I, you know, I keep saying to myself, I need to declutter and it will be this constant conversation in their head that is cluttering them up so much that they can't actually do anything anymore. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that productivity is, is affected by, you know, your, your space that you're living in, but also your well-being. you know, how, how well do you feel if you're, you know, boundaries between work and home and relaxation are so merged that you can't create that space for yourself that relaxation space I mean I started off designing quiet rooms and meditation rooms because I really felt that to go into a space that was really calm and really soothing it would help you recenter and reconnect to yourself and now I'm working with excuse me cluttered homes which are really draining your energy and your space so I do think it's really fundamentally important, especially if you're a sensitive person. Mm. Mm. No, it just got me got me thinking <laughs> <laughs> about your well being. About my well being and my cluster. Yeah. Um, mm. So, what have you found in terms of your of your work? Have you found that when you've decluttered spaces, people are actually their energy levels go up. What are, what are, what are some of the um, kind of miracles that you've seen, the unexpected um, happenings that have, have, have emerged from decluttering spaces that you just were like, oh, my God, I never even realised that? Mm. I think if you, if you take on that um, metaphor that the home is a mirror of yourself, mm. that, you know, that generally people come to me when they're stuck and and they I guess in a way a bit depressed and they can't really see any way out of it. And so they've picked up the phone and reached out for some help, which is a good sign. Um but generally there's an admission that that being stuck they can't kind of get to where they want to be. And so I I generally believe that clutter is three one of three things um it's either a trauma that's been buried um or it's a distraction a sort of a displacement activity where you know some people would say to me oh you know i I just need to declutter or i'm going to declutter 15 minutes a day and they just never ever get there they just keep doing it or it's a burial of, of a dream or a passion or something that they haven't quite discovered or let themselves create so maybe a book that hasn't been written or a painting course or a dance or something so one of the I generally find that people come to me when they've kind of got fed up with the, the stuck you know when they've got to the point where they just like actually this is obviously never going to change even though I tell myself every day I need to declutter I'm just not doing it for some reason or another and I need some help and so when I come into the space with someone, they're usually at this point where they're ready to make a change. And part of what I would do is help them identify 
what is underneath the clutter that they've been burying so that we've got a, a sense of purpose really for the for the energy that that gets released so you asked about energy and generally even though the work is quite tiring the actual energetic reward is huge you know I can walk out of a session feeling really energized physically tired but energetically energized if there is such a thing and so people would be really energized and suddenly inspired and they'll start seeing hope again like oh I can do this or it is possible or it is shifting or you know um maybe I can write that book and I'll just give you an example I worked with somebody who had been living in a house for oh I don't know 20 or 30 years and brought up her family there and ended up being on her own the kids have left and uh, she wasn't she was single and it was this great big family home that just was full of stuff so we went through a process of decluttering together but ultimately what really needed to be decluttered was the house you know that she didn't need this great big house anymore and um you know finding a new home was her project so we worked together on that and actually finding a new home was such a massive thing she just thought she would never be able to do it and none of her family thought she could do it but she did and it was just amazing it was just so inspiring seeing this person almost finding a new lease of life and a new home I mean can you imagine living in the past like that Mm. (laughs) when and the home that represents your past and everything and, and not being able to move on and something symbolic as moving house is like it's like creating a new life and a new you it's almost like getting a new getting a new hairdo or a new set of clothes or something but in a really big fundamental way because once you've moved house you your life is going to change so it that was that was an amazing experience I really love that Helen because there's so much more to this right like Mm -hmm. I would just you know what kind of was was bubbling up for me was the sense like oh you just move house <laughs> but what you're saying is more profound than that. It's not just about moving house. It's actually um representation of who you are and what you're into. Like I remember this this house that I now live in in, in Spain. And I made a promise to myself that it would be full of light. Mm-hmm. I, I was brought up in a ha- in a home in in um in Hampshire, you know, one of the old grade listed buildings that were lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just really dark because the yeah. windows are so tiny, yeah. and it was lovely and cozy in the winter, beautifully picturesque. But God, was it dark in the summertime? There was like, mm-hmm. where is the light in this house? Yeah. And so, where I live, um, they have small windows as well, and because they want to keep the heat out. But I was like, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't want to live like that. I really don't. So, um. I manifested a house that is literally from floor to ceiling windows. Wow. And you walk in and it's just light. It, it's just, and actually the, the living room windows concertina so that you can concertina them apart. And, so and open them. Yeah. Yeah. So there is just nature that comes into the space. So 
it just really got me in touch with, wow, how different, like I would never have chosen that sort of space maybe five years ago. Mm-hmm. Back at five years ago where I was living, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, whenever it was, when I first got to London back in 2008, actually that's, that's actually 11 years ago. Um, I chose to live in a really dark and dingy house on the bottom floor in the East end of London, which I thought was really cozy. And my sister walked in and she goes, why, why are you living here? Mm. And it woke me up to something because I was totally okay with living in a dark and dingy place that had mice. It seemed to be totally reasonable. Yeah. Well, I would say that's that. So that's partly because, um, you know, that whole thing about family is familiar. Mm. You know, when you've been brought up in a, in a mm. kind of cozy sort of house, you recreate that. And one of the things that, you know, you asked me earlier on, what's behind hoarding and sometimes it's it's behind what's behind it is that our parents did that and we just learned that from them and you know part I I was my kind of belief is that as as adults we you know part of our process is is to choose you know is to go out and review you know well my parents modeled this for me but is this actually what I want for me and you know actually this is a good bit but I won't I won't have that bit, but that takes kind of quite a lot of inner work, I think, to, to really say, you know, Mm. they gave me this, but I don't really want that. And to change it is, it takes some discipline. Mm. Yeah. I just find it fascinating because it is a massive reflection of the inner work that you do, isn't it? Yeah. And I would say that your, your bright light window, ceiling to floor home is really is such a reflection of you marina and how i see you as someone who who does shed light and do you see what i mean it's like it's not just a place that that obviously you've chosen because it nourishes you and it makes you feel uplifted but it's also a place that that actually in some ways is is a reflection of who you've become as a person would you say that yeah, yeah, totally. So I just never had really, like I, I'd, I'd, I'd had a fleeting thought about it, but now on reflection with this conversation, it is really like such a different choice to what I would have chosen in the past. And yeah, like all that decluttering on the inside has made a massive difference in terms of the types of things that I choose to do or the types of places I choose to be. Um, and what I wish to do with the light and what I wish to do with the space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I guess for anybody listening, and that's certainly a reflection point on this, on this moment, on this podcast is like, yeah, what have you chosen to live in? <laughs> but I mean, it's not, a, it's not a question of beating yourself up, right? No, absolutely. And it's, it's about the fact that, you know, you can look in the mirror and say, well, actually, I want to change this. Yeah. This, this, I might have inherited this, but it's not necessarily my choice. And, you know, and I think earlier on, I was talking about people who have got a lot of clutter and are a bit depressed. You know, I think when you're depressed, you don't feel like you have a choice. And the good thing about, you know, decluttering is that moving bits of furniture around or putting some box in a, some books in a charity bag or in a box is, is something that's kind of 
physically actively easy to do much easier than than perhaps changing some thoughts in your thinking process because if you're not aware that you're having negative thinking it's much harder but to actually get involved in a physical practical process Mm. actually starts shifting your thinking it's kind of quite ironic and it's you know I used to there's there's a lot of kind of um new age thought that says you have to change your inner world before your outer world will change I don't kind of subscribe to that. I think that you work on the inside and the outside. So if you can change your space and do something positive with your space, it's then going to make you feel better about yourself. It's going to be increase your self-esteem. It's going to make you feel more on top of your world and in control of your environment. And that's going to then help you to build your self-esteem. So I think, you know the inner and the outer in tandem is really my my kind of approach to to the whole world of your home and your self-esteem and your decluttering well what occurs to me is that of course if it's experiential you're going to learn while you're taking action so it makes sense that by taking action you'll have the insights and you'll learn more about yourself or more about the way that you've been thinking about something than if you just didn't do anything about it it's a bit like, you know, writing a book, um, but kind of like waiting for you to be ready to write it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. But rather than yeah. just going, I'm not ready, but I'm just going to write it anyway and see what happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and and being able to do it imperfectly. Yes, totally. Totally imperfectly. Yeah. Um, I'm curious actually about something. I'm curious about, there's certain things that people like, it's easier for them to let go of and other things that aren't. And, and is that, like, for example, um, clothes might be something that somebody's really, really, they find that really easy to let go of, but maybe books is something that they don't. And what's involved in that? Like, maybe not be like, oh, I'm a hoarder of everything. It's just I'm finding that really difficult to, like, let go of this particular area. Um, I think it, so some people have attachment, more emotional attachment to their clothes. Some people are incredibly attached to their books and, and we all have a different, so it's what we associate, it's what we really project onto these objects because ultimately they're, they're objects, but we create meaning, we put meaning into them. So, you know, for some people I often go to someone's house and they say, well, I've done the books. And I said, well, let's, let's just do, let's just go through them. No, 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 I've done them. And there's something about the process of taking all the books off the bookshelf, putting them in front of the client who then really looks at them and assesses them and touches them again. Cause sometimes books don't get touched for years, you know, they just get neglected. Um, and then we'll go through this process of dividing them up into giveaways and keeps and, put them back and I, I usually put them back with all, you know, creating beautiful order. And I've had people burst into tears when they've seen the bookshelf because it's, it's brought it back to life. So sometimes we have this, this sort of like, Oh, don't touch my clothes or don't touch my books. But even just the process of going through and touching them again is, is a way of reconnecting to them and, and, re-bringing them back to life and and in that process people always let go it's really interesting wow yeah and um and and do you find that also it may has like a couple of things that come to mind are 
decluttering on your own can be for some people a really traumatic experience like that or and but having somebody there can really help and aid the process but also the other thing that also comes to mind is um not knowing what to do with the stuff like going I'm stuck because I actually don't know what to do with it or how to get rid of it or or yeah I think um the thing about um doing it on your own and I remember once telling my mum what I did and she said well why can't people do it on their own and uh, and I just thought that was such a kind of a reflection of her generation and and women then generally were you know given the custodians of the home and they wouldn't talk about their feelings and so things have changed radically now you know people are much more open to asking for help and support and acknowledging that when they're stuck with something, maybe they need a personal trainer or a personal organizer, or they need a therapist or a coach or something. So that in that sense, the culture has definitely changed and it is really lovely to be able to sit with someone and and support them when they, especially people that just really struggle to ask for support because having support can make the process so much easier. It can make it quick, fun, and you're seeing the home through someone else's eyes. So generally people who struggle to do it on their own because they get really precious about things, they start seeing it through my eyes and they're like, Oh, well maybe, maybe I don't quite need this. And so support is massive. And I can't remember the other thing that you asked me. Um, just generally like, okay, you know, you need to do it, but then you're like stuck as to, what to do with it? Oh, it's the giving things away. So, I mean, that sometimes that becomes a massive thing. So sometimes people will say to me, oh, I want to sell it. Or, you know, this is a designer dress or a designer handbag and I paid a lot of money for it. Therefore, I worked for that money and I saved that money and then I spent that money and I chose that item and I'm not going to just give it away. But actually sometimes selling stuff becomes as much of a barrier to letting go as, as just, you know, sometimes it's just give it to a charity shop and let them benefit from, from that. If, if it's, if it's something that's taking up room in your cupboard and you're not wearing it, then it's, it's costing you rent <laughs> essentially. And what about the things that you don't see? So I'm going to fess up here. I've got drawers where I've got stuff in there and I'm just like, Oh, I can't, I know, I know it's there. I don't mm. use the drawers, <laughs> so I don't see it, and I forget it's there until I, until I kind of maybe, yeah, kind of reflect on it as I'm doing now. Like, what about the clutter you don't see? Like, is it is there any offence there? <laughs> well, am I committing an offence? <laughs> um, and, and am I the judge? <laughs> No, no, not at all. I'm just curious. As no, to... I'm just teasing. But um, I, I think that out of sight, out of mind is something that's quoted quite often with regards to clutter. And and ultimately, you know, no, there's no crime for having drawers full of stuff. I think the thing is, <laughs> the thing is that it's just that, that it's in your head. If you, if you think that your home is your psyche and then you've got rooms that you're not using then what is it that you're not using in your life do you see what I mean or what is it that you've stuffed away in that drawer that is representation of something that you've stuffed away that you're not dealing with so and also the thing about 
what you what's in your home you carry with you in your psyche so there'll probably be someone in your head who's saying well you know look at those drawers they're full why aren't you going to sort them out and and then it becomes a nagging process and it's all a, a process of not being present because there's the nagging voice that's telling you to tidy it up if you've got drawers full of stuff and you're completely fine with it then you'll you know just carry on and be fine with it you know i think it's only a problem when it becomes yeah um, a way of avoiding being present or there's something that you've stuffed in the drawer that is something you don't want to deal with. And sometimes it's quite useful having drawers that you can use because then you don't have to put stuff all over the floor. I was going to say, it begs the question, <laughs> why would you have drawers? <laughs> but yeah, fair enough. There are drawers used and, and you know, it's like a tool with anything. It's like you can use a drawer for, for, to, um, to be more effective um, I think, you know, if you imagine your desktop is full of files sure. and then you think, well, maybe they would be better in that folder. And sure, once they're in the folder, you've, you can forget about them. But would you rather have a folder where you know where to find them or just constantly be reminded of them every day? So there might be a folder on your desktop that you only use once a year. So why would you have it out on your desktop or on view? Do you see what I mean? It's like sometimes it's about, I really think that there's a mind map and the, the whole thing about a filing system on your computer or in your, in your home is, is it's about a mental mind map. And if you can mind map your way back to things. So if I said to you, could you find the sellotape and you could go, yes, it's in that drawer, then you've got a clear mind map and that will make you feel much more ordered and much more kind of centered and grounded in your life because you will have a little bit of influence over your circle of influence if you like you know because there's so much of life that we don't have control over and you know the home is hopefully one place that we that we do have this illusion of control and it kind of brings me back to the productivity and effectiveness right so if you've got clutter if you can't find anything like i you know I realize this about, I know it's so obvious, isn't it? It's like, yeah. if you, if you've got clutter everywhere, where, how do you find anything? And, um, it's like having a cluttered fridge where you can't see, um, what's actually in the fridge and then you end up buying the same thing. And then you find like we just did the other day, it's like there was a cluttered fridge here and we went out and bought, bought parsnips and then we emptied out the fridge and there was a whole bunch of parsnips already in there. So actually what I've kind of gleaned from this is you can save money by being more ordered. Um, And you can save time. Time. Yeah. And one of the things I, you know, so I say to people, I talk to them about, you know, clutter or your home is like a garden. So the reason I say that is because the garden is growing and we accept that if we don't maintain our garden, that it's going to grow into weeds. But for some reason, we don't think that the home is growing because we think that books don't grow and that, you know, toys don't grow, but we're always buying them. So they are, or they're being used, you know. So the first thing you have to do with a garden is do the weeding. And then, then you find the homes for things that do the planting plan and, you know, right, the sellotape goes here. That's creating the mental mind map. You know, when I come in, I put my keys on the landing station and that's where my keys live. So I don't have to look for my keys every time. And then, 
then there's the whole thing about maintenance. You know, how do I keep my garden from becoming overgrown again? How do I keep my home maintain it? You know, so that I'm not running this strict regime, but I'm also not being really neglectful. And so I always say to people, you know, what's a small thing that you could do at the end of the day, say, have a, have some house rules for yourself. So like, I don't go to bed before I've done the washing up because sometimes, you know, if you come down to yesterday's washing up, to me, that's like dealing with, that's like, you can't save because you've got to pay off your debts. You see what I mean? So if you're always clearing up yesterday's mess, you can't be here today. So that's my whole thing about maintenance. If you can just maintain a, a sort of level of maintenance that is, is easy and manageable. So you're not tidying up for yesterday, then you can just enjoy today, which is really what we're here for, isn't it? To be in this moment. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Um, that's why I outsource a lot of that already. <laughs> like, get somebody else to do it. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise you'd be spending your time working on yesterday's stuff. But it's quite amazing. Like, I remember um, I rented out my, my house um, about a year and a half ago now. And I honestly didn't think I had that much clutter, but by God, when I had to remove everything from the house because they wanted the house to be free of everything, mm-hmm. I threw bags and bags and bags and bags and bags away. And so I realized that like, you may think you don't have it, but when actually when you put yourself in the process of getting rid of shit, actually yeah. you realize how much stuff you do have. Um, and so I don't know, like, what, is there any, any kind of yearly things that you do? Like, or is it a, a maintenance thing that you have? Or what have you found that can be really helpful for anybody listening and that's going, okay, I know I need to declutter. I know there's some psychological stuff I probably need to let go of. But where do I start? Like, what, what would be a great starting point? Um, so I, I, as you know, I designed the home declutter kit and it was to help people with the weeding process really. And, and in there we talk about, um, a detox. So, uh, I think it's, it's become more popular and more people are more open to doing like a juice detox. Say, say for example, they had a binge at Christmas and then they think, right, I'm going to start the year and do a body detox. Well, maybe you need to think the same about your home and like do an annual declutter or an annual detox. Mm. Um, and you know, so in the kit, it's designed to, to help support people go through that declutter process so that you can detox your home. And I think the more, that you can get into a regular habit of doing that. It doesn't have to be every year, but once every couple of years, it it would be much quicker. It's when it's left to, you know, I've worked with people whose lifetime, their lifetime of work, 30 years of, of research is suddenly, that's a really overwhelming amount to declutter. And with that overwhelm just creates paralysis. Mm. So if you can just keep on top of it and do a regular declutter, get the declutter kit, get that out and help you to, to do that process, you know, then it's done. And it really does everybody that, I mean, even people that mention that they're decluttering on Facebook say, I feel really energized. There's something about letting go of stuff that gives us energy. And, and that's because we're carrying it all 
all of that stuff, we're carrying it around in our psyche. And if you create space, you create space for the new. So that's really um, my, my best tip. Make space for the new and, and make space for your creative projects. There was a great um, YouTube video about how we pay to move stuff around the world. Mm. Like you pay stuff if you pay for your stuff to go, you know, to where you live, and then it gets stuck in storage, and then you pay for stuff in storage, and then so yeah, it's just overspilled into these storage spaces of stuff that you never see and that just collects dust. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, you know, really what you, what everybody has their treasured memories, you know, and, um, I mean, now that we all have smartphones, it's really good to take photos of things before you, if you're not sure about letting go, then take a picture of it, but everybody needs a memory box, but you know, not a memory room or a memory home, <laughs> you know, just a box of small treasures that you can grab, um, if you ever need to. and it's got your treasures in it, but you, you know, we really don't need all this stuff. And I know that people who, you know, my clients, they would say that that belonged to their mum and it reminds them of their mum, but you only really need two or three things to reconnect with your mum because ultimately she's in your heart. She's not in the, in the photograph or in the vase or in the furniture, you know, that's, that's again the projection and the psychological element that, that needs a little bit of loosening. So that's what, that's some of the work that I would do with that. Mm. Well, beautiful. Um, And so Helen, what are you wanting to do more of this year? Like in terms of stuff that will bring joy to you? Um, I love what I do. Um, and I particularly love when I meet people and they invite me to their home and I have that initial meeting where they tell me their story and the home tells me its story and we kind of unpick some of that story together. And it's, for me, it's a bit like working with someone's dream. There's, it's sort of a mystery until you kind of unravel it. And then somewhere in there, there's a little bit of a message. So I'd love to continue doing that. And, and actually I have designed some workshops so people can come and do that with me in a, in a workshop environment and, and unpick some of those little sticky stories that they might have in their home. And, um, uh, yeah, so that's, those are a couple of things I'd like to do this year. And um, when you say sticky stories, is that just generally like what we've picked up from our, from our parents, um, how we run our own homes, um, the stories we've created about our, our, our space? Um, it's some of the things, it's some of the ways that we've got stuck. So for example, we talked about, you know, someone who learned hoarding behavior from their parents. And then sometimes there might be um, a little bit of, of loyalty. So sometimes we, we, we take on a behavior that our parent has had as a way of being loyal to them, even though that behavior doesn't serve us. So it's quite often you can see that with someone whose parent was alcoholic or drank alcohol as a way of, of dealing with stress, then they might have learned that behavior as well. But it's also 
there's a really deep way of a bonding with the with the parents. So I would sort of help people to unpick that bonding a little bit because if it becomes self-destructive, like um, having too much stuff is again making you feel depressed. It's 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 ruining your productivity. It means you won't invite anyone into your home. Then that becomes a destructive um, pattern, even though it might be keeping you close to your mum or your dad who did that too. It's not really serving you. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 it does. It does. So I guess time to reflect on that and being given the space and, and, and having somebody guide the inquiry can be really, really useful. Yeah, and also being in a room where other people have have got similar inquiries, and when I've done little taster workshops before, people have got really excited and they've gone, "Wow, I didn't think of my home like this, or I didn't think of my my art space like this, and now I see it differently." And it's 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 like you know just taking a layer, of peeling a layer off, and seeing it differently, and having a new fresh relationship with it, and. Um, it can be it can be really liberating in the same way that you know getting your hair done can be really can be feel great. It's like a new you or a snake skin, you know, a layer of you is just time to be shedded, and and the new you can be can be born. Yeah, well, it makes complete sense. And and on that note, uh, if if anybody listening to this wants to contact you, Helen, how can they do that? Um, they can go to my website, helensanderson.com, and um, there's lots of information there about workshops and my services and the declutter kit that I talked about and, um, you know, articles and blogs and hopefully inspirational material on there. So I'd love to hear from anyone that wants to chat to me. Yeah, well, um, it will be, you know, incredible for them to have that experience because today I've, I've already learned so much just from this one conversation. So, um, so yeah, for anybody that has been listening, there you go. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And until the next time, bye for now. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. And there you have it. Another wonderful episode of the joy of being. If you loved what you heard here today and it's been helpful, why not subscribe or share the podcast with others? And if you're curious as to how you can experience more joy in your life and feel carefree, then I invite you to download your Joy Catalyst Scorecard at www.marinapearson.com slash scorecard, which will help you identify the joy gaps and what you can do to fill them. And remember, you can find me on Instagram at Marina Pearson or my Facebook group, The Joy of Being. So until next week's episode, remember... You are the joy you seek.